right, boys, bust down. Well, welcome to episode four of the Nope Country podcast. Welcome back after a bit of a hiatus. I don't know what you're talking about. There's no. been no hiatus. No, not at all. It was a simulacra of a hiatus. It felt like one. It's, I must it be was mistaken. a real hiatus. I'm Andrea, by the way. I'm Patrick, uh, and we're here to talk about politics and country music, yeah. and not necessarily in that order. All right, so we're going to talk today about um, the hot country billboard chart, and we're going to talk about uh, some other other country music artists in the news. We were just up in Ashland, Oregon. We drove from the San Francisco Bay Area around six hours, seven hours, yeah. and plenty of time to enjoy uh, the latest pop country hits. Mm-hmm. And so what do you think of the latest entries on the top country charts? Uh, I think they suck a little bit. And I think that a lot of them don't really sound like country music. I think that when you listen to the like top 20 as a whole, like certainly as a body of work, these songs have many things in common, but to say that they are all country songs might be a bit of a stretch. There is there is thematic consistency on the list. It looks thematic like... com- consistency and aural consistency. Mm-hmm. Like I would to a say. fault. Yeah. But like in terms of like country sounding song in the sense that I understand it I would not say so much I like uh, Midland's Drinking Problem it's such a good song it's I love that good. song and I also think that like I mean that's that's the thing where like thematically Dirks Bentley or Billy Carrington or somebody could record that song and ham it up and do like Drinking Ham Time Frat Boys Alligator Dave Pat Green bullshit and it would sound vaguely country but fine or whatever or the way midland records it which is like it's a fucking country song like it's twangy that dude is obviously sad it's about being sad in a country way it's delightful it's not they're not telling you the joke along the way to like undercut the seriousness of a sad country song exactly yeah yeah I'd be like me doing Neon Moon as a funny joke party song. Right, which you could do, right? Like, you could do, like, Here I Am, Yuck, 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 Under the Neon Moon, or you can sing it like you're the saddest motherfucker who ever lived, Mm -hmm. uh, which Brooks and Dunn does do. Heartache on the Dance Floor, the John Party one. I just like John Party. Uh, You just like that his name is Party. I like saying the name Party and watching the dog scurry to her crate. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's what we call her crate, is her party. (laughs) <laughs> That's an inside, deep inside joke here on Nope Country. <laughs> what was the one about I'm going to buy you a bajillion rings and get down on both knees and mm. see you in a white dress and jibber-jabber such? Oh, you're thinking of low cash, ring on every finger. I am thinking of low cash, That's ring on every finger. a lot of rings. Finger. That's probably around ten. Yeah. Uh, sucks to have that many rings and to have that song on earth. I ain't getting down on one knee, girl, I'm getting on two. That's a weird one also, though. In terms of the way country music is and is not, um, like, culturally relevant, 
and the ways in which country music strives to maintain a certain moral aesthetic that, like, a bro country band would be singing about how pretty you look in a white dress and I'm gonna super marry you real hard, girl. Like, we're gonna be real monogamous. <laughs> he's gonna over he's gonna over marry you. Like, I'm sure people are like, oh, it's so sweet. Oh, it's just, and like, I'm sure people are playing it at their weddings like all fall and all summer or whatever, but it's just a fucking like nightmare song about how a man can super own a lady. <laughs> You're going to be so married, you won't know what hits you. (laughs) You liked Brad Paisley's song last time for everything, though? I did like that one because I am a sucker for all schlock. Mm -hmm. Like, I am maximum schlock. I cry when Proud to be an American comes on. Like, I just, like, I am built for crying to sappy shit. Right in Brad Paisley's Wheeled House, too. It's one of these, like, in the tradition of Brad Paisley songs that are sort of like, he thought of a little turn of phrase mm. or a I believe you joke. described it to me as another Brad Paisley dad joke mm-hmm. when we first listened to I'm it. I'm not sure. I feel like I might have overused dad joke. Like, maybe it doesn't quite rise to that. But it is a little bit like... Either I'm turning the old chestnut around so it's, you know, the opposite direction, or here you go. It's not first time for everything, it's the last time. And it's all about there's the last time you're ever going to go to your grandma's place for dinner, or you're going to eat at the school cafeteria, or you're going to be nervous, you know, kissing a girl in the front seat of the car. It's the last, like, Friday night football game, mm-hmm. last time you put your varsity jacket on. I, it's just so corny, and I, I love every bit of it. I think the last bit of the song might be that there's a, the last time to hear Prince sing Purple Rain. Oh, that that one was where I was like, alright, I'm cool with this song. Uh, I mean, it's obviously corny, again, but, like, that's true. Miranda Lambert's Tin Man. I think that everything that I've heard or seen about the charts and country radio right now, the first thing that they say is... Understand, first of all, that I recognize that Miranda Lambert's Tin Man is the greatest song in Nashville right now, and it's a travesty. And it's, it's at number 40 or something? 27, 27 now, and okay. it's falling. Yeah. And it's like hanging on, but slowly. And uh, basically her whole album, her double album last year, which people love, and it's great, and there was no like hit single off of that at all. And this is the one that's sort of like hanging around really well as far as like craftsmanship. I thought it was a pretty song and it was well crafted, but I just don't, I don't see how a song like that gets, is going to sit it in the top 20. Like, it's just not, you don't play it at parties. You're not jazzed to hear it on the radio. You're not going down to the boat and the lake and playing that song. It's sad as fuck. You don't Uh, play it at parties. No. Somebody might. (laughs) What? Look, I have some sad parties, and I still don't play those. Guess who is number one on the hot country charts these days? Is it Sam Hunt? It is. Do you know what song? Is it Body Like a Backhoe? It's Body Like a Back... <laughs> Andrea, it's ba- Back Road. Oh, right. I'm sorry. But you're thinking of the other one. <laughs> He's describing the, the dinosaur-like yellow construction equipment on the side of the road. Indeed. Sam Hunt's ode to the caterpillar. Uh, so this week on The Ringer, Rob Harvia wrote a piece about Sam Hunt, basically saying that Sam Hunt is the future of country music and why that's a problem. So I think every year or two, there's a new face of the future of country music, and we sort of grapple with what that means. And it's mm-hmm. all kind of pointing in the same direction here. But with Sam Hunt, the idea that, that Harvey is really pushing is that, you know, his first album, Montevallo, was full of promise. Like, he was a songwriter before he was a recording artist, and the craftsmanship in the songs is really good, and there's, like, tenderness. For example? I really like Cop Car. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. like, there are sure. these, like, writerly details in there describing the lights and, like, the moment that, that's happening. And mm-hmm. uh, and it's done in a nice kind of broad way with, like, little precise moments in there that kind of pulls you in. Okay. And that's what we had 
a couple years ago when Sam Hunt was a big star. And now what we've got is Sam Hunt, Body Like a Backroom. I mean, I think that song is catchy, and, like, I don't, I don't dislike the song, really, and for as much as, like, I loathe the patriarchy and wish to burn all of this motherfucker down with my three dragons, I think it's quite charming, and, like, I like the goofball country thing, because it's, um, a silly, like, distraction and pretend playtime of life for me, uh... And then I remembered that it's, like, a real thing that real humans emulate and, like, they want to behave and act and do the way Sam Hunt does. And that sucks. So the reason why I joke about it being called Body Like a Backhoe, I mean, other than the fact that, like, it makes no difference to me as to whether it's called backhoe or back road is that like the song makes no sense <laughs> like, i mean like i get it like but like it's curvy and slow or whatever like weird disembodied objectification thing that sam hunt is doing to a woman's body when he compares being with a woman to treating her like a road like if you're gonna treat her like a road you may as well also treat her like a piece of farm equipment uh so she can be a backhoe or she can be a back road it doesn't really matter. The point is that it's a song about Sam Hunt wanting to bone somebody, mm-hmm. and I think that's the major selling point for men and for women who consume the song, which is that men imagine whatever their boners are doing, uh, and women desire to be desired because of the way patriarchy works. He could just as easily take the pants off of a piece of construction equipment as he could take the pants off of Me, for road. example. <laughs> are you... <laughs> It's not the best metaphor (laughs) out there. This piece that Rob Haria wrote is timed well because this is the week that Sam Hunt broke the record for most weeks atop of the country charts for one song. And the song whose record he broke was even more depressing, Florida Georgia Line's Cruise, uh, which had (laughs) 24 weeks at the top of the chart. This has been up there for 29. I liked Cruise, too. I mean, I don't like it. Okay, the thing about Cruise is that... Okay, so Sam Hunt does this thing where he's just a white guy, kind of sort of rapping, but very much, like, trying to bring in a hip-hop aesthetic to his country song. Which, that I don't have a problem with in any sense. Like, that's not my complaint about bro country. It's not my complaint about new country. It's not my complaint about pop country. I don't care that it sounds like hip-hop. I care that the songs are of relatively low aural quality. The production is stagnant. They all sound the same, right? Like, the, the fact that they sound like hip-hop, I think, is kind of cool. Uh, but they don't... They don't ever go anywhere because it's white people making the same song over and over and over again. And I think with Cruz, the thing that's interesting, because Nelly is the guest vocalist, but like, I think if Nelly had just done that song, that would have been a pretty fucking good country song. But it could have never been a country song if only Nelly did it, because Nelly is a hip-hop artist and he's black and all these things, but like, country grammar 
which is one of his extremely early hits, is a song about being from the country. It's twangy. Like, it's a it's a celebratory country party song. Nelly is very capable of doing country music if we think of country music as something that is about being country and that is a little bit twangy and that is about having a good time, drinking beer, or whatever, right? Like, the thing that I hate about Cruz is the Florida Georgia line part of it and not the Nelly part of it. Do you hate the Florida part or the Georgia part? Or is it the line... In between. In, in this instance, Patrick, I will hear both sides and dislike both of them. <laughs> <laughs> I want to quote a little bit from, from Harvia's uh, story here, because I think that he, he sort of distills this, this in a nice way. And he says, if, if bro country is truly unkillable and only a precious few prestige artists like Chris Stapleton stumble into the Nashville embrace, then Sam Hunt seemed to be the best case for the genre's biggest hit maker. Shallow enough for fame, but deep enough to transcend it. Body Like a Backroad is a huge step backward, unimaginative from the listless back porch riff to the avalanche of lyrical cliches unleashed by the title alone. So, do you think Sam Hunt... Where does he go from here? Do you think Sam Hunt is down this death spiral of schlock or is he going to come back with a, a double album of inspired <laughs> i don't i mean you're more in touch with i i i put the question to you patrick what do you think well i sure hope it's the latter but i'm not the one programming uh, radio stations around well, the country no, but you think more deeply about about like the nuances of the of the genre in terms of like performance and longevity than i do i have no reason for hope <laughs> Great. <laughs> I think Miranda Lambert, if I'm going to pick, like, you know, a country star who who did have a turn like that with one of these, like, great works of art, there was, the, you know, there was her marriage falling apart, you know, and she'd been, like, riding this image she had for a while and maybe was, like, due for something new. Mm-hmm. And Sam Hunt, I would imagine, is going to ride this out as long as he keeps making all the money in the world. So the idea is that, that Sam Hunt is, like, the charming ex-quarterback who's going to come out and, and, like, Harvey describes it like he's just going to show up at your party and pick up a guitar and start strumming and like the room will melt he says the idea is i've been at that party it's not a good party (laughs) well this is the image that he's selling though like some people are are very charmed by that uh he describes it as channing tatum buys you a drink i would just want to register that i am personally offended at the comparison between cheddar titums and sam hunt okay because cheddar titums would first of all obtain consent from everybody at the party ask them individually if they want to hear him sing a song, and if any one of them said no, he would be like, that's cool, I'm just gonna, like, use my muscles to slide beers down my arms and legs and distribute them to you, and I will not sing for you if you don't like it. Sam Hunt is definitely just gonna be like, what up, bros? Here I am, we're gonna sing fucking Sweet Home Alabama for nine hours until the sun comes up. So, no. I I reject the, the the Channing Tatum comparison. Channing Tatum is too good for Sam Hunt. So decreed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm not sure there's a segue for this. There was a story in Rolling Stone Country, and the title is Why Country Music Stars Are Reluctant to Speak Up About Charlottesville. By my friend uh, Winona Demio Ediger. Yeah, the piece is great. Basically, they're noting in the story that there's been near radio silence from Nashville's biggest stars on the fact that there were white supremacists marching through the sheets, streets of Charlottesville, and one of them marching ran over. Marching through the sheets? Did she just put the white supremacists in the sheets? <laughs> you got to march out of the sheets. <laughs> out of the sheets and into, into the, the streets. streets. Oh, God. That? So Nazis were in Charlottesville. Yes. And they ran people over with cars. Yes. And it was a nightmare, and they shot at black people, and 
yelled Nazi chants like blood and soil and Jews will not replace us. Um, and they were all assholes and, um, it was awful. One of them in a Johnny Cash t-shirt. Oh, indeed. Yeah. Well, Johnny Cash's family had to, had to address that fact <laughs> and say like, Hey folks, remember when he was singing about the rights of prisoners and Native Americans and the poor and downtrodden, forgotten people in society and was not singing about white supremacy, which you want to imagine <laughs> he was. Christ. Oh, what year? Can we, can, can we just check a calendar real fast? Okay, so from the Rolling Stone country piece, I'll just quote a little bit. Why is it so hard for artists and country music, a genre with a rich history of giving a voice to the downtrodden, to share a few words of sympathy and solidarity? to offer, at the very least, an acknowledgement of the violent, uncertain, increasingly turbulent state of the nation. A simple, hey y'all, white supremacy is bad, far less than 140 characters, would suffice. But country stars still seemingly live in fear of getting Dixie chicked. I mean, what happened to the Dixie chicks is, like, a problem, and it would suck. But the flip side of that is that what happened to the Dixie chicks happened because there's not a cultural rejection of white supremacy in country music and a rejection of American colonialism in country music and a rejection of white nationalism in country music and a rejection of isolationism in country music. And the longer people go and don't say, actually, there's not two sides to Nazism, there's not many sides to a white nationalist protest the harder it will be for people to, for artists who don't want to lose their livelihood to say, we oppose Nazis. Also, though, while the fucking Dixie Chicks did get blacklisted and life sucked, um, they fucking just went on a sold-out world tour. So I think the fear, though, is uh, to be afraid of being Dixie Chicked is not the, the exact career trajectory of the Dixie Chicks will repeat itself for you, but that you will just not be played on the radio anymore. Right, which if you're not in a position, if you're not on an upward trajectory or you don't have the talent to persevere through that or you don't have the connections or the like cultural capital wherewithal to weather a, a controversy like that, sure. I don't know. I mean... We I know on a list, for example, some of the people who have said nothing about Charlottesville, and it's mm -hmm. Brad Paisley and Carrie Underwood and Kenny Chesney and Keith Urban and people who, like, have the power in Nashville to do whatever they want, pretty much, at this point in their careers, and they're going to be fine, and they're going to still be playing their songs on the radio. I mean, whereas you have Casey Musgraves, who is just coming up, uh... And other folks who are, like, lower down. Who's the guy who said a thing? Kip Moore? Mm -hmm. Who has a top 20 hit right now, but is not, like, super established. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Kip Moore said, uh, he posted on Twitter, he said, If your parents taught you to hate people of color, they're idiots. If you're an adult and still spewing their hate, that makes you a bigger idiot. I mean, like, that's, that's hard for most white people to say, period. So, to drag country music in particular for this is a little bit singling out a genre. Mm -hmm. But it's the genre of white people, and it is a genre that white people specifically and, like, powerfully identify with. I think because that genre is historically hostile to people of color. Yeah. 
I'm not saying that's why all people like country music. That's not why I like country music and I'm white. But, like, I think one of the reasons why country remains as isolationist as it is is because it has this, like, cultural understanding within the genre that, like, you don't get involved in politics unless it's to support veterans or to support a war or whatever. You don't support politics unless those politics are the most milquetoast, non-controversial, white-friendly political acts or politicians, right? And so that perpetuates all kinds of problems, which prevents people of color from succeeding in, in country music. It prevents women from succeeding in country music. It homogenizes the genre to the extent that somebody like Sam Hunt, who might otherwise be talented, has to produce this schlocky bro shit. And it's Boring. Perhaps something a little bit uh, on the upside. Kane Brown, one of these up-and-coming country stars, he is in the news now because he, he's going to Congress in September to speak about the rental housing crisis, and he's doing it with an organization called... Make Room? They're a nonprofit group that's out there working on income inequality and the rising cost of, of rent. A lot of country stars will say, I'm not political, and leave it at that, and he is specifically getting into politics on a particular issue. And not for nothing. He is multiracial, white, black, and Native American, Cherokee, I mm-hmm. think, according to the story that I that I read. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of those things that, like, to tie back into Winona's story, which was great, the vast majority of country stars are white people and specifically white men. But in this moment where we have a nationwide rental crisis where people after the housing boom were evicted from their homes, we have all these renters in these super high-cost areas of Oakland or... Chicago or New York City or LA, right? Or even in the South, right? Where it's just like, we we have people who don't have anywhere to live or they're being displaced via gentrification or whatever else. It takes a multiracial country star to speak out against that, even though the crisis undoubtedly affects poor white people. But you don't have Keith Urban or Carrie Underwood or Taylor Swift out there saying, like, I'm going to go testify before Congress for this economic problem, right? And so, like, I think that there's so much anxiety about economic anxiety among white progressives and white liberals and white Democrats. And those white people spend very little time demanding that the most prominent white people speak to their own community about how to fix and help that thing. And who better to do that than somebody like Brad Paisley? And there's no, like, political organizing there. There's not a strong political thread in mainstream country music where country artists speak out on a regular basis about issues that are important about anything. And so it takes a multiracial guy to come up and say, like, I will do this work for you. And that, like, It takes somebody from the most marginalized community to overcome so many barriers to get to a point where they're saying, like, I'm going to speak out against this thing because, like, I can't afford not to speak out against this thing. Like, literally, like, my family is on the line here. So I'm going to speak out against this thing. Meanwhile, people with so much cultural cachet and so many resources, like, just skate by and make their money, right? We're never going to get to a point in this country where privilege is dismantled and people are having honest conversations about the harm that some of this really terrible public policy does if people who are most privileged don't take the lead on that. 
or if they need to take the lead and pass the microphone, right? Like, they don't, we can't wait for people who are the most harmed to show us the way. Keith Urban needs to be talking to white people about racism. Brad Paisley needs to be talking to white people about racism in a way that is better than accidental racist. Does that make sense? Like, do you see what I mean? Like, why do we have to wait for Kane Brown to do this work for us when, like, it's a problem that Bernie Sanders has been hollering about for three years, and Alan Jackson is not out here, like, talking about income inequality? Well, Alan Jackson is not a real political man. He said so in his song. He specifically told I'm going to do a murder on you here in this laundry closet. Kane Brown's Going to Congress to talk about his own upbringing, really. He lived in the car for a while with his mom and grew up in his grandmother's house. And maybe Brad Paisley doesn't have that personal experience to speak to. And so what if Brad Paisley is trying to make a statement about race in America and says the wrong thing? Maybe he did that and it was such an embarrassment and so offensive that he's just decided to shut up at this point. Well, I don't know. He may feel that way. Whatever. I don't super care about Brad Paisley's feelings. He got his feelings hurt, and he doesn't want to talk about racism anymore. Fine. Okay, sure. That's my projecting, but I... He should not, then, talk more about racism. What he can do is say, I think Nazis are bad. Like, I don't think... I don't think that, like, as a result of Accidental Racist being the worst song on the planet that Brad Paisley has to, like, not denounce Nazis, right? Like, that's, like, we've gotten to a point now where it's, like, the door is wide open and the Nazis are there with their flags and they're running over people and it costs nothing, morally and ethically speaking, to say, I don't think Nazism is great. I'll share a Brothers Osborne quote with you. We Mm -hmm. talked about them on the last episode. They tweeted... Wearing Nazi regalia is the most un-American thing you could do. Well, I would complicated feelings about that. <laughs> Why do you say that? Because America is a white supremacist state built on white nationalism. Mm, it's actually and, very American. Enslaved very people American were forced thing. to build America against their will, and black women were raped and impregnated against their will by white slave owners. And, um, in fact, like, white supremacy continues to be the bedrock of American politics. So, I mean, like, maybe specifically, like, Nazi regalia is not the most American thing you can wear, but, like, it's pretty fucking American to be racist. Well, you're talking about how the door is open and it's it's the easiest thing in the world to say Yeah, Nazis sorry. So, I mean, like, my critique there of, like, well, actually is, like, many degrees removed from, like, well done, Brothers Osborne, it's fine, thank you so much for your disavowing of Nazis, that is lovely. Call me later, we will talk about, actually, America is super racist. Still. Did you see that time they put a Donald Trump mask in their music video? <laughs> I did. I did. <laughs> Where do you situate Kane Brown in this larger conversation of, like, is country politicized? Can it be politicized? Who will politicize country music for us or for the audience or from within? It was a couple days after Charlottesville on Kane Brown's Facebook page when the he put a video up it's with him and his grandmother talking about his upbringing and you know, how hard work got him through a, a really hard upbringing and to have him go to congress and talk about better deals for for renters and controls on landlords that's more than pretty much anybody else in country right now is doing uh, and it's also a message that doesn't like directly challenge a lot of the audience of country music it's not explicitly anti-racist Mm-hmm. It is fundamentally intersectional because the people who are most likely to be affected by harmful 
rental policies and pro-landlord policies are probably going to be people of color, but he doesn't have to say that in order to make his point, right? Which is, enables him, I think, as a multiracial person to slip into that political role in a way that, and I think this is super savvy, like, allows him to be political and to be active without pissing off white people. Because, like, white people will read that as, like, oh, he's just advocating for economic justice or whatever thing is, right? I know somebody who's having a hard time finding an apartment. I wish my rent was lower, too. But, fundamentally, the thing that he's advocating for will help people of color, hopefully, right, more than any other population, because people of color are disproportionately harmed by the current rental landscape. So it's smart, I think. And it's in his music, too. I mean, he, he sings about... You know, um, seeing people growing up like him and how his friends that he grew up with are, are shot or in jail and their kids growing up with single parents. New problems now, like trying to fit in, getting looked down on just because of your skin. It's bad enough, I can't afford them clothes. Got high water zone with holes in my soul. Now that's the type of stuff to put a hole in your soul. But I, I'm just gonna, uh, I'm just gonna, uh, I'm gonna let it. I mean, so he's he's like seriously grappling with with this stuff. Well, so I what I think the the turn there is that like I think the work that white people need to do and that white country artists need to do is that they need to say, like, this issue is in some ways a racial issue, and it this, whatever it is, this law, this policy, disproportionately harms people of color, and that's bad, and that's an example of systemic or institutional racism. This is what art is supposed to do in a lot of ways. It's not just entertain us or make us feel good or make us feel sad or be an outlet for our emotions. It's to start conversations. And art can be a way for people who don't know how to talk about something to talk about an issue with each other. And a lot of the work that white people have to do is talking to their families and their friends. And that can be really hard because how are you just supposed to like walk in to dinner and be like, hi guys, Black Lives Matter, bam. I mean, it's necessary work, but it's really difficult. And when white country artists say something like Black Lives Matter or don't be a Nazi, that is a stepping stone to having a conversation about racism with other white people. Like, I try and imagine what, what is, like, the third rail that everyone in country music is trying to avoid here. What, what, like, what makes it so hard to say Nazis are bad? What makes it so hard to say what happened in Charlottesville was bad and because of the actions of one particular group? You know, there's, there's not something written into people's contracts that says, like, you're not going to talk about racism. Everybody's trying to figure out where the line is, and so they're just steering very clear of it. Maybe it's not even talking about race, but it's, it's just the fear of being branded as a controversial artist. Like, that's what, that's what being Dixie Chicked is about. It, like, it doesn't matter if you're talking about George W. Bush or Nazis in Charlottesville, but it's, it's the idea that your image now is somebody who's going to be out there talking about something that's going to upset literally one person. Mm-hmm. And that you can't be seen as doing that without 
thinking through the implications for your career. And so if you're going to say, I grew up poor and had a hard time finding a place to live, and I'm going to take a stand to talk about that now, then it's it's part of his image right now, and he's owning that, and it's awesome. Kenny Chesney's fix-it plan, I think, is bailout for everybody. Sit on a beach. Everyone go to the beach and get drunk. (laughs) Yeah, but so, okay, so final thing about that, which I think is fascinating, is that, so the country music consumer who I know like the the er platonic ideal of country music consumer is definitely the white guy who's like you won't hear this on the mainstream media but I'm here to tell you that da 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 racist like insert racist idea there uh <laughs> at length and, for 3 hours at right, the bar exactly and 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 that's what everybody I'm just saying what everybody's thinking but afraid to say mm. which like I mean, true, you did just say, sir, what many racist people are thinking. Thank you, um, Charlie Daniels, for and, gracing us with your presence. And you've just said that out loud. That is not the controversial idea that people are afraid of putting out in the world. Like, people are, white people are not actually afraid of being racist, right? And in this case, in fact, the white people that we're talking about, the white uh, producers of country music, the white performers of country music, seem afraid to be anti-racist. And in fact, that is the scary idea that they're afraid is going to lose them listeners or spins on the radio or whatever, right? So, like, it goes contrary to the idea that, like, liberals are snowflakes who can't handle anything and they're always trying to, like, silence free speech and da-da-da-da-da, where, like, in country music, we have a perfect example of if being racist was legitimately controversial, um, everybody in country music would be anti-racist and it would be super weird to be racist or to even, like, hint at it, right? Like, it would be the fucking status quo to be, like, Black Lives Matter. Like, that would be the... Like, people would just be like, bam, 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 saying it over and over and over again, the way that that they do about support the troops, or Mm -hmm. whatever, right? It's the opposite of the thing, uh, and that is on white country artists to fix. Amen. All right. Well, I think that uh, we should wrap it up here. We'll be back uh, real soon with another episode of Nope Country. Thanks for listening, y'all. Bye.